Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about small irritations and pet peeves, also old wounds that maybe need a little scar revision. During the show we'll also dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some much-needed insight or indeed some catharsis. You can definitely sweat the small stuff with me. This week, I am raging about, can I just say, changing room mirrors. Ah, oh, I had to shop for a new dress. I tried it on in the changing room with mirrors at angles that should be illegal. I think these are actually a hate crime. Like, I'm not supposed to know what my ass looks like from 180 degrees underneath. No one is supposed to know that apart from my toilet. Also, my profile, like three quarters of my face is fine. I can put that in photos. I'm happy with that. But just pure profile, I immediately go, where is my chin? And add fluorescent tube lighting better suited to the underneath of a Subaru. That I could be an actual exhibit in London dungeons. Or hail the rat woman trying to hide her ratness with sequins. Go back to the bins, you rats. Don't bother the tourists. I can understand that ultimately, like I can't control how people see me or they've like seeing all of me i can't request they only stand straight in front of me and not next to me i just think we're not meant to see ourselves that thoroughly or intensely it's very upsetting it's similar to being at the hairdressers when you're just confronted with your face for upwards of like two hours those mirrors need like dimmer switches or curtains let me see it at the beginning and then the end so open the curtains i get to see my what my hair looks like before close them and then do it again at the end because otherwise if i have to keep staring into my own soul for that long i'm gonna have a breakdown not least because i'll just start noticing new lines and i'm like i've got a premenstrual mustache coming on there one eyebrow is higher than the other and then i leave thinking i look like a picasso so i just i don't think it's healthy that's my rage changing room mirrors or being in front of mirrors for a long time they say that sharing is caring, a problem shared is a problem halved, and that happiness is only real when shared. So please welcome my nice, funny person with things to get off their chest this week. I'm joined by writer, director, and Joburg Joker. That's what I've gone with. <laughs> Gilly Apta. <laughs> Thank Hello. you. I like that, Joburg Joker. Yeah. I had a show, a show called Jokes and Joburg, so it works. 
at the top of the show, we like to ease you in with an old grudge. This is where you bring a personal gripe, something from from your life that you feel really needs addressing or you haven't quite got over. And maybe you just want some sympathy from me. I'm also willing to give that. But uh, spill your guts, Gilly. Mm, mm. Um, Tiff, uh, this is a tough story. You know, when I was young, my parents took me to the opera once. And uh, my father, my parents were socialites. You know, my father was a doctor. Ooh. And uh, when I was a little boy of nine years old, they took me to the opera. And on our way home, we got mugged. Oh, and they wow. were murdered in an alley. And then I went home and um, I was attacked by bats, which was very scary for me. And, you know, what happened was I just decided I was going to become a Batman. And I've been looking for those muggers ever since, never found them, but that's who I've got my gripe against. That's your origin story. Yes. Is that a gripe or an origin story? That's- <laughs> um, no, re- really, um, I'll tell you who I've, I had a gripe against when I was young. When I was a teenager, I was in love with this boy at school. Well, he wasn't at school actually, but you know, it was like a teenage love, right? He had an older girlfriend who was, well, now that I think about it, it's kind of crazy. She was 30 and like he was, he was 18. I was probably 16 or 17 and I couldn't, I just knew innately in my soul at that age that I could not possibly compete with her, you know? And I, I, and I, she was my nemesis ever since, even now I sometimes see her around. Do you? Yes. Right. And, but she's that bit older than you. Are you still like... Yeah, so she's uh, to like, I would say, 14 years older than me. So right. she's like in her mid-50s. Right. And whenever I see her around, I'm still like my nemesis. <laughs> I never At the got, time, I never did, got it, over did it. it... Well, so technically he was 18. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is going to come up uh, later on again, uh, this discussion around ages. But it doesn't feel necessarily equal, does it? An 18-year-old with a... No, thirty-year-old, I mean, but it's it's legal. Is it moral? These are the questions. And, and we also, like to it's, ask. A, it's a we, we always have the a, we have a stickier feeling around like a younger boy and an older woman. We do. We know? always do. It it seems to go unremarked upon when it is much older men with much younger women. Yes, and he was in a lot of trouble for it. Like his family stopped speaking to him. It was the oldest sister of his best friend. They stopped speaking to him. So it was like this almost like illicit relationship that wasn't allowed to happen. And I think that's probably what fueled it even more. But I was like his best friend who he would tell about like all his escapades with, which was painful. So that that really scarred me as a teenager. So you're sitting there and he's like, I just really care about her. And you're leaning in trying to kiss him. Yeah, no, while he was, he's pouring his heart out. It was much worse than that, Tiff. It was much worse. He, he told me explicit things that I really, really did not want to know as like the, the long suffering. Unrequited. Uh, yes. It was painful. That's my old gripe. So, and I, I, I like to hang on to it. You know what I mean? I, I don't see a reason to let it go. It's nice. An unrequited love is a good gripe to bring to the show because I feel like as we move through our lives, do the patterns of these relationships repeat themselves? Do these wounds open up again? And you're saying you, it's still there, you're holding on to it, but you probably moved on from it. But did you, was he your first love? I think so. Right. Probably the first significant person. But you were friends. Yes. And then it moved into And let another. me tell you, that is my jam. You know, anyone I was ever in love with was like, I, I didn't know how to do anything else, so I just befriended them. Right. I'm, I was like a friend zone <laughs> machine. <laughs> I rarely hear this from the female side, you yeah, see. Yeah. I normally only hear friend zoning. And it, cause, because also when men say it, it's, you know, not to be too on the note, but it's, it has such a sense of expectation. Yes. Like I remember friend zone coming up in the country. She's friend zoned you. And you're like, 
Why do you think that you are like, that this is just your right to be anything other than friend zoned, right? That's such a good so question. So I, I really feel, really I really, good. I really hear it from women, but I also find that women tend to be like emotional support a lot of the time. Yes. For men in these situations. Yes. You end up taking on quite a heavy emotional labor. Big time. And it's because men don't talk to each other. So a lot of the time, um, you know, even if you're in a dating situation and let's say you think something is going on with you and someone, it's like they seem like they're attracted to you, you're together all the time, you're engaging all the time. It could take you a little while to realize that actually you're just functioning as this emotional support person for them because they don't have anyone else to do it with. They're not conscious of it. They don't even know they're doing it half the time. Right. So it's very easy to become a friend to them because they need it. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's very easy to become, to fall into that role. And you might be thinking there's something romantic happening, but it's not. Well, you might be thinking this will grow into something more, but, you know, and I'd like to hear from people that have like grown into, you know, friendships that have grown into love. And I mean, I suppose I met my now husband. We were, we didn't start dating right, right away. Actually, we met two years before we started going out. And I think we were both seeing other people and and stuff and I sort of liked him I was like oh he's handsome and that was sort of that um but yeah I didn't feel like it was so I suppose we were friends before we got together right but not like really really close friends right where it was like right. why have I never no I revealed? only knew how to take uh an object of my affection and then more make them a friend I didn't know I like I didn't know my powers you know what I mean (laughs) I didn't think that I was like a sexual being I didn't think that I was attractive so I didn't know I didn't have any of that and I so I never thought that they were attracted to me either you know I always just thought oh it wasn't even conscious I think it was just the route that I took because it was what I knew how to do almost like a defense mechanism right And do you think you still do that now in relationships or not so much? I think it's my impulse. Was this a lesson for you to go, oh, actually? Yeah, big time. I think like in my 20s, in my like mid to late 20s, I figured out that I actually, I was like a late bloomer. You know, I suddenly thought I was hot and I was like, oh, I'm a hot person. I can be a hot person. It was a very (laughs) short period of time. (laughs) I'm a late late bloomer as well. I got married in my 40s. So, you know, I completely and utterly. (laughs) I, I recommend, I recommend blooming late. Yes. I do. It's better than blooming early and then all your leaves withering. Correct. And then you're going, what do I do now? Correct. You just get resilience and skills in other areas. If you're a person who comes through a lot of stuff late, like you learn how to deal with rejection and stuff better, I think. This is what I want to see because I often see this. Um, we see like lists of 30 under 30. I want to see 60 over 60. I want to know people who yeah. have done stuff like in their second I, act. I think you're going to start seeing that now. I think that's great. That's a great idea. You should start that. I'll start it. I'll do 60 over 60, 60 over or 50 60. over 50 or 40 over 40. Like, cause it's otherwise it's like under 30 and you're like, Oh, right. You're basically just saying we're done once we get to that point, you know, totally. And, and I think all of the discourse and everything is massively unhelpful when we get into this kind of crazy ageism as someone who's getting older we're all getting older you're all gonna get there so chill out yeah everybody must just relax you know what i do now when when i i often ask people like the age in my show that i do and every now and again somebody will say guess just guess and now when when somebody tells me to guess i think of what i think their age is and then i add five years (laughs) and then get really annoyed yes just grow up like we're all we're all dying like you say (laughs) we're all dying doesn't matter Age ain't nothing but a number, as our lair said. <laughs> right. Thank you for sharing your old grudge. Hopefully, I feel like you've healed it a little bit by sharing, by us laughing. 
Um, and you said you've moved on from it and you, you don't do it so much I ha- now. I have uh, moved on from it. I just like to remember it. It fuels me a little bit, you know. Yeah. Because I don't have, I, I'm not a person who has a lot of grudges. Right. Okay. So you it's don't nice hold to them. have a definitive one, you know. You don't harbour grudges. Not really. I build, I build portside attractions. <laughs> <laughs> I build entertainment, I build a pier. I've got, I harbour them all. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Topical cream is the next section of the show. That's where we apply some balm to a stingy news story mm. that's got you all het up. What's really got you go? My big news story gripe at the moment is Kanye. Or what? as he's currently known, yay. Okay. Um, so, the, you know, he's been saying all this um, anti-Semitic stuff. And honestly, last night I was speaking to my friend about it. And there's a few things about it that irritate me. One, that in the first place we place so much stuck in a person who has shown us how unstable they are. Now we're in a situation where huge brands have placed so much stock in him, literally, you know, and and now we're all shocked that he's come out and said a bunch of crazy things about black people, about Jewish people. White Lives Matter t-shirts. Yeah, and, and, and this morning I read that Adidas have dropped him, and which is unbel- unbelievable. It really is unbelievable because he went out and said, well, Adidas is never going to drop me. Um, so what? So I can say whatever I want, basically. And they have dropped him. And there's so much about it that annoys me. One, the fact that we did put so much stock in him. And I have to say, like, I, as a huge fan, am guilty of that. I look at the partnership between, like, you know, uh, Yay and Nike. And then after that, Yay and Adidas. And I go, like, yes, that's exciting. That's great. I love that. You know, but I don't put my money into that. I wonder, like, if I'm a CEO, would I put money into something so unstable where we see the unstable behavior like unfolding over years and years and years and now be so shocked you know and then the other thing is i really and now i have to stop listening to kanye west that's a lot of my like that's in a lot lot of playlists man a lot of playlists well i feel like people expect i suppose his mental health to manifest itself in a certain way right Mm. yes and he has been behaving and then I saw a video of someone saying, why hasn't Kim come out and said anything? And so listen, I've been a long time um, not fan of the Kardashians. And, of I, you know, I sort of remember a few years back, I used to have a bit of stand-up about Kanye, basically claiming he was a polymath, you know. And then yes. again, that's someone who straddles disciplines, like, you know, science and the arts, you know. Yes. 
like but he was doing his fashion lines which you know I gotta say um I'm like not mad into the inside of a trainer cage thing that came out but people people enjoyed them I guess it's um you know this same argument that keeps coming up is is it cancel culture is it accountability culture it's very very messy with Kanye because it is it is tied up with someone who's clearly going through mental health difficulties but if that is the case why many of why are so many of these brands then just like throwing themselves like you say throwing themselves at him in order to gain that elevated status from him then the minute his it doesn't manifest in a way that they feel is okay and he has said horrific things like there's no taking away from that that then it's like well of course we never align ourselves with that and it's like but you're aligning but yourself. There were so many with, clues, so yes, many signs. Yes. And what irritates me, even I'm, I've got a preemptive aggravation, which is, I know exactly what's going to play out from all of this, right? Because he's been making all these anti-Semitic remarks, um, and and all of these huge brands have dropped him. I guarantee that this will result in even more anti-Semitism, where the people who are already ignorant will say, "Oh, look how powerful the Jews are," you know. I can tell you as a Jewish person, that is the backlash that happens immediately after something like this. Oh, you see, Tropes they, are they didn't out. drop him when he was said, you know, doing the stuff about slavery, you know. Oh, but now that he's speaking about the Jews, suddenly he's been dropped from everything. Oh, look how they, oh, they do control everything, you know. Yes, yeah, it just feeds into, what is it, they call it confirmation bias. Correct. So they Correct. already think these things and now yes. they think. And so now it's like even more evidence. Oh, how was one of the most powerful pop stars in the world toppled? Oh, because of the, you know, the Jews. It kind of feels like a time where like these rising anti-Semitic comments are being said, conspiracy theories are being thrown around and stuff. And yes. I suppose rather than deal with a lot of people that actually, what's interesting about, about Kanye is that because he is an entertainer, that is a way of people thinking as well that they've kind of dealt with anti-Semitism. That's interesting to me, as opposed to, I guess, lots of pockets of people who have real power. Yes. Like in governments or in far-right organisations and groups and stuff like this, where you go, that could actually be really damaging and hurtful or are causing, you know, like attacking people and like, you know, not saying, again, I'm not condoning anything he says by saying that, but I often think sometimes when we hold the flame to celebrities over yes, a lot of this stuff, absolutely. it feels like a bar, like we're talking about applying a stingy balm to a topical news story. It often can feel like that. You go, well, that's, oh, thank goodness we yes, dealt with that. We, we ended anti-Semitism because we cancelled we Kanye. Yeah, yeah oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then the rest of it gets to just carry on. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. What do you, what would, what would be your ideal outcome? Do you think? Has he climbed down from his comments or said, no, not at all. He's doubled down as far as I know. And I, what's interesting to me is like, it's so hard for me to believe that he is like a hater of any people, you know, it's hard for me to believe he's an artist. A lot of people will blame, uh, often blame racist behavior on mental illness. Right. But sometimes there is a very fine line, you know, and in this case, there does seem to be a very fine line. It's very hard for me to believe that he truly hates Jewish people, even after all this. It really is hard for me to believe. I think what's more at play here is his like wild, chaotic nature that just decides to, you know, blurt out whatever thought that comes into his mind. Unstable people having a lot of power. Yes, I think that's results in more instability. Yeah, and I think that the unfortunately, the 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 sphere of influence that he has 
is really deeply influenced by the things that he says, you know. Right. Because I can tell you, I'm not even joking when I tell you after those first few, few remarks, I saw a comedian from South Africa on Twitter making jokes about the Holocaust. And and I can tell you that person was emboldened. Right. They were right. emboldened, you know. Yeah. They were like, oh, that's okay to say. If he's saying it, it's yeah. okay for me to say it. I'm not saying that he turned that person into an anti-Semite, but like he, he was like, oh, I see that that's okay in the world. Well, you know. Yeah, and there's a there's a huge difference between making jokes from a place of understanding or knowing it or what you feel is revealing a dark truth about something. Yes. Or just going, yes, oh, no, exactly. we're having a laugh at the expense of people who've suffered. Yes. And there's a, you know. And, and also I can tell that, I can tell like with this, in this particular case, I can tell that the person has no idea, doesn't even know what they're saying. And in fact, I reached out to him and I said, I, I, I want, I'm doing this first privately because this is what I would want somebody to do for me if I was out of line and because I know you and and this doesn't seem right for you I'm going to tell you you are doing something very wrong um you know this is very very uh racist anti-semitic and hurtful yes um and I wanted to know if you knew that you were doing that if not you should know that you are and you should stop and to his credit he replied saying okay I understand I'm sorry and he stopped Right. Well, that's um, you know, which is an unusual of, outcome in these times. That's a, that's a that's a useful bit of dialogue, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That that would be what they when we talk about this a lot of the time of like not calling out, calling in. Yes, exactly. Which is where you go. Which is sort of what you hope with most things. And I'll say this just just sort of as we're tying up to uh, put the button on on, yes. on this bit a little bit. But I think that's effectively a very useful thing of kind of going. What's the ideal in a situation if if because we all we're all human we all make mistakes and that is a thing of like I've said this before but we live in society now where humans are expected to be like absolute vodka you know like this one hundred percent pure proof like there's no that you can't you're pure you can't make mistakes so what you hope is that if you do a thing that someone says to you that's a friend that kind of goes do you know that this could be it could be taken this way. It could be misconstrued. Yes, and yes. you go, okay, I accept that. Or you go, oh, that's not what I meant by that. Or you clarify or you get to make adjustments. And that's what that's what calling in is, is kind of going, actually, I, let's talk about this. I'm not sure it's great. Totally. And, and, and that's the ideal. Unfortunately, the calling out is where it's thousands of people. It's very public. It's very, yeah. And then you push someone immediately into a position of massive defense. Totally. Which, and which is why doubling I did that down. Then, right? I, I made a choice. I was almost going to reply on the, like in the public forum. Yeah. And then I, I, I thankfully when I'm on social media, I do think a lot about what I do. Yes. And I, I, all I had to do was think about it for another few minutes and make the different choice. Yeah. And then come to a much more of a middle place rather than an extreme place. It's time for your unpopular opinion. A thing that everyone hates but you love or a thing that you love that everyone hates. Tell me what that is. Well, because I'm in the UK, um, when the pound depreciates, everyone hates it. But I (laughs) love it because I have to go back to South Africa and take the pounds with me. And so Amazing. my, my pounds more money. become more rands. Yes. Yes. So that's something that everybody hates. Mucho rand. Yes. Which is not a lot of rand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, saying sort of when it, when it almost gained parity with the dollar, the disappointment of 
you know, I remember getting sent money from America and it only being half. So I'm going, I need just need to go out and make some American dollars because they're right. worth a lot more now. Yes, yes, exactly. I can't, I can't tell you how thrilling it is to just to watch multiply. the pound sink, to yeah, watch yeah. an economy. Yeah, please, a little bit more. But then when I start earning proper pounds, I would like it to then just go back. You know, when I have to actually spend money in London. Yes, then yeah. Because yeah, you're coming back, aren't you? Yes. You're here. So I need it to even out sort of around Feb, so what you Feb want, next year. Okay, right. Yeah, so what we want, if, if you wouldn't mind, is the pound to just kind of stay where it is. Yeah. Uh, so you can get all that money and then come back and have a raging, a strong pound. Correct. That would be great a raging, I'm talking about <laughs> it like it's a hard on. Could we have a raging pound? A raging pound. <laughs> Ed is shaking his head like, what are you talking about? Money like it's an erection. I don't know. It, it just is, happens. it is. In That's many ways it is. It is. Yeah. It's it's hard or it's, it's up or it's down. Exactly. You know, it's hard or it's soft. It's sexy. It's sexy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you but, have it, not when you don't. Yes, yeah. So is that how, is that how at the moment, do you think like internationally, pe- well, you've said that, you have said that people are looking at, Britain and going, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, I used to, I thought that during the pandemic as well, you know, in the early months of the, of the pandemic in South Africa, we thought we were like doing such a good job. You know, our president took decisive action, you know, locked everything down. We were very, very proud in the beginning of the pandemic of how he handled everything. And we were watching America and Britain just like free fall with the numbers of people getting sick and dying. And I just remember thinking, this is not how this is supposed to go. Like a pandemic, you know, we've seen the movies, you know, the, you know, the aliens come and then America and the UK, they battle it out to save us. We're not yeah. supposed to save <laughs> yourselves you guys and you or ourselves. Yeah. It's very, that feels very unnatural and very scary. New Zealand and South Africa, just like doing yeah. a great job of, well, I think this is not the plan. And, but then also I would argue that for Boris, it was the plan because he always sort of wanted herd immunity. Mm. which is sort of what it sort of careened towards eventually. Every decision was too late, too little, too late. It felt like everything was done here. And the idea that up to the point that we're sort of recording this, there was there was a possibility that's gone now that he might re-enter right. the arena. Right, Like a gladiator that's just had a couple of like, you know, lion slashes across his face. And he's like, I'm back. Everyone wants to see me. <laughs> And you're like, no, when we go through everything, the beats of what you've done over the last two years, we absolutely the do beats. not. Let's go through the beats, Boris. Let's go through the beats, Boris. I do think, I have to tell you, I'm very, every time I see a picture of that man, I am stunned anew. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, how is this not just a character in a film? How is this a real person? Oh, he's, because it's very curated. This is what's annoying about it for this like lovable buffoonery. And the oh, right. British press have been cl- complicit in it as well. A bit like they were in America with Trump. Right. The British media have been very complicit in this building of of Boris as this, oh, he's just an Eton boy that doesn't right, really, right. like, it's just, oh, is it, isn't he charming? Doesn't he? I'll declaim a bit of Plato and, and, and uh, oh, my shoelaces are undone. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. No one gets past like teenage years walking around with their shoelaces constantly undone and the hair is purposefully messed up before he goes on camera and I came up with a term for that I called it mopaganda (laughs) just going out doing a few lies that's so good yeah mopaganda so um so yeah thank you for your unpopular opinion but a very popular opinion is Boris is a knob (laughs) it's time for our aurochs or historic beef this is where we look at historical arguments and offer solutions. Actually, in this case, I don't even know so much that it's offering solutions so much as getting angry on behalf of someone who's no longer here. 
So um, I will introduce this. This is the Duke versus the Duchess of Argyle and a very early case of revenge porn. So she was nicknamed the Dirty Duchess by the press, but Margaret, Princess of Argyle, was one of millions of women who had their sexuality used against them with revenge porn. So she was born into a wealthy family. She was a socialite, a bit like a, a Batman or yourself, yes. really. And at 15 years old, she got pregnant by the actor David Niven, who was 18 at the time. So this is what I mean about, we'll talk about mm. ages. Um, he was 18 and her father was furious with the news and sent her to London for a secret abortion. Because obviously the shameful part of that is that she was pregnant, not that you were letting her have sex with an adult man. Um, <laughs> silly, annoying Margaret. And so she was this society girl, like, and who stopped traffic on the way to her first wedding which is a bit i'm jealous of because i just annoyed some people with bagpipes um <laughs> she got married to a man named charles sweeney during her marriage so this is she's lived before all this other stuff so this is just a bit of potted history during her marriage to sweeney she had three children one of whom was a stillborn girl as well as a son brian and a daughter Frances, who went on to marry the duke of rutland so one of her daughters then married into became a duchess and she also suffered eight miscarriages this is a woman who's really sort of gone through it got pregnant at 15 got married but she's a bit of a personality she's a bit of a socialite and in those times it's dangerous to have too much personality because that's what rosemary kennedy had and they lobotomized her so yeah <laughs> like genuinely they were like she's too spirited they gave her a prefrontal lobotomy oh and then she almost died during an accident whilst visiting her chiropodist this is baffling to me where she fell down a lift shaft, which I feel like we could do an episode of this on its own, could we not? <laughs> Some wild story. It was out of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Like maybe that happened loads in the 40s, cause of death, the Hun, or falling down a lift shaft. Like you're either <laughs> going to take out by by Hitler or a lift shaft. So, so this is all pre to the main scandal, which is she got divorced, got engaged to one of the Lehman brothers. They never married. And then she, her second marriage was to Ian Douglas Campbell, the 11th Duke of Argyle. So many twists and turns in this life before we even get to the part of like what becomes the major thing that affects her life. Yes. Right? Yes. It's already such a crazy life. It's a crazy life and she's this woman who's living fully and I imagine there wasn't ways to talk about. We talk about miscarriages now. People are sort of being more and more open. I have friends who've talked very movingly and personally about their experiences with that. Yes. And but even that, even eight miscarriages, okay, that tells me that you got pregnant eight times. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you had three. So you got pregnant. That's, like, a, lo- that's a lot. Like, do you keep going? You know, you keep going. Yeah. 11 uh, pregnancies. Yes. And, you know, what was the situation? Well, I suppose back then there wasn't, there wasn't birth control and that, that she had this abortion at 15 years old and she stayed friends with David Niven. So I think throughout her life. Right. So I think, I, I wonder if this woman was... Then what happens next with the sort of scandal is I wonder if this woman just felt like she never got to be the person she truly loved. Maybe at 15, she was like you going, this is the man I'm going to be with. (laughs) So she marries him. She'd had a lot of life, but she was still societally very well regarded. And then the fractures form in their relationship. And then the Duke becomes suspicious that his wife's been unfaithful. So he, like a totally reasonable person apparently Mm. hires a locksmith to break into her private drawers while she was away in new york and that's where you can tell the story is of the time because that now what would be what your iCloud would be hacked (laughs) he was like i didn't look at her phone it was open so the idea that someone could go into your 
into your drawers mm. and extract this kind of stuff or like read the stuff you got in you just anything that you're texting on your phone yeah, or anything that you you know like and so when he got into the drawer he found this evidence that was proof of her infidelities including polaroid pictures of her with another man i think there were letters yeah so he was like right and the photos then, kill me the fact that she has polaroids of herself having sex with a man during that time kills me because i'm like who took the photos yes and also it's such a huge risk to have like hard evidence in flagrante that, that was probably less risky though right doing them on your phone if your phone gets hacked, they can be uploaded to a cloud. Well, it's I don't risky do that either. Have, no, I don't do that. But, <laughs> but it's, it's less so risky. It's risky, right? Yeah. It's less risky, I suppose, than an actual back in those days. You've got one photo. And once you've taken that and burnt the negatives. Yes, if you, you were know, like sharp enough to do that. But I guess also if, I think Polaroids don't have negatives. They don't have negatives. So I suppose they're just. Yeah. So it was like her little box of like. She just wanted like one sexy treasures, <laughs> sexy picture of herself while she was young and hot to remember the good times. Yes, and he used it against her. And so she was this obviously sexually confident, yes. forward woman. And so then they used the pictures as part of a legal case, and he drew up, you know, against the Dutch. So he drew this case up against her as part of divorce proceedings, alongside a list of eighty-eight men he accused her of having sex with behind his back. And I've got to imagine with a list that that's just anyone she's met. <laughs> Listen, when I read that number, 88 men that she's had sex with, first I thought, like, okay, he's exaggerated that for the sake of, you know, his case. But I don't think at that time you needed to exa- – you, you could have just accused her of sleeping with one person and you would have been able to make your case. And so that leads me to believe that she did, in fact, have sex with 88 men. And in that case, I am a massive admirer of this <laughs> oh, I mean, fan, big fan. Girl smashed. 88, 88, that's a serious body count. This is the where it's frustrating again, and this is where it comes into sort of revenge porn, because this this court case became a tabloid sensation, and then she was dubbed the Dirty Duchess, and the identity of the headless man in the pictures was speculated as being Sir Winston Churchill's son-in-law, but no one knew. So it's just there's a there's obviously her naked and a man, but his head's you know like he's gone or something. He's gone. Fuck this. Yes, <laughs> he's smart. Picture. He put his hand in front of his face and he was like, "This could get out on social media." Yeah, and yeah. I'm not interested in being. Um, and then this is where it gets um, Duncan sad is as it was reported to the Minister of Defence, he had access to a Polaroid camera. So that's how sort of rare, I guess, the Polaroids right. were. Right, that's what I was well. thinking. When I read that as well, I thought, where did they get this Polaroid camera? I thought that only existed like in the 50s the or 60s. 70s. I thought yeah. the 60s or 70s, yeah. So you're saying this is like a case of revenge porn in its they, earliest... They're talking uh, about it in its earliest form of revenge porn. The leaking of or the handing over of mm. photographs that were not intended for you, that have been stolen or that... Actually, even if they were intended for yes, you, that's part of revenge you. porn, used against you. Uh, to destroy a woman's reputation and life and, and leave her penniless. I have to say that even if he didn't have these pictures, who knows what the thing was at the time, he could have probably, you know, turned turned the world against her. Just invented something yeah, exactly. and said, that's what it is. And, uh, you know, exactly. she's trying to kill me. I don't have any proof of this, but she but is. Take, take my word for it. Uh, take my word for a, it. I have a strong feeling. Yeah. I have a castle. Yeah. And an entitlement. Yes. So therefore, yes. this woman must be punished. Yes. I have a, I have a castle. And money and a story. And yes. nothing's going to stop me, you know? I, uh, just trust me. And they were like, you know what? It sounds plausible. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for your thoughts thank on you. the Duchess of Argyle. Before we go, we have time for one quick angry aunt, which is where <laughs> we get readers to send in problems. We have one this week, which is an anonymous one. 
It says, Dear Catharsis, I recently got fired from my job after 44 days. What do I do now? (laughs) I can't imagine who this is coming from. (laughs) So essentially, you know, the problem here is that someone has been very bad at their job, very publicly. Where do you go from there? Where do you go? Like, because this section I like to call angry aunt because I like to get angry on behalf of the person, but Mm. I don't feel angry uh, on on behalf of Liz Truss. I was just (laughs) trying to understand who she was. Um, and then she was gone. You so barely just, scratched the surface yeah. of the incompetence that was laid bare. <laughs> so what, from what I understand as an outsider, she came in, made a huge mess and then bounced. Well, the problem is, I guess, and so if you're listening, Liz, I think, because you sent the problem in, um, you yeah, obviously fair. are listening. I think the problem is, is that we have a situation a bit like, I think it's the West Pier in Brighton, where it's a wreck. It burnt down years ago. It's still there. You can buy the West Pier for something like a pound but you have to promise to spend 30 million on it or whatever so what she's inherited was a mess the problem is putting yourself forward to be the person that goes a man has made a mess I'm the woman coming in trying to tidy this up right like Boris has made a mess I'm gonna because Boris isn't gonna get the the blame for the mess you're just gonna get the blame that the mess hasn't been tidied up so there you go that's my defense for you that's me getting angry for you Liz you've already you've stepped in there's dog shit all over the living room you didn't leave the dog shit or just human, let's say human feces. It's come from Boris. There's shit all over the living room. You've come in, you've stepped in it, trailed some of it around the house and now everyone thinks you did the shit. And that's unfair for her. That's unfair as the premise of what she was coming into. (laughs) Let's say she was a great leader. Yes. It still would have been a huge mess that she came into and took the blame. It still would have been like, there's half the shit in this room that there was Mm. before you Mm. came into the room. So well done. You've managed to clean half the shit. I think what you should do, Liz, is maybe spend some time with your beloved port markets. I mean, that's where her real interest lies. What is that? Port markets. So she did a big speech about trade and uh, she said, we're selling tea in China and our <laughs> port market. It was insane. It was unhinged. And it was sort of part of the Brexit negotiations where she just kept saying port markets. And so then there's obsession with port markets. So maybe, maybe I'll tell you where you could go next, because here's the thing. I think with the job of prime minister, once you've been in, you get sort of offered 115k for life in your parliamentary role, hmm. right? Uh, correct me on that if I'm wrong, anyone that's listening. But people are saying that she would, should refuse that because she was in for 44 days. Basically, she's made um, Theresa May look like a Duracell bunny. Like, <laughs> like with the amount of time, like Theresa May managed to last two years and then some. So 44 days. Can you really say you've been prime minister if you've only hmm. done it? Like it's like a supply teacher. I don't know. Kind of I don't know. I think doing... a win is a win. Tiff. A win is I a win. Think, yeah, I think once you're in, you're in. I, <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't give that up for nothing. No, well, I, I will say the men probably wouldn't give the money up. So from exactly. that, from that feminist, oh, gross. <laughs> Feminism <laughs> is confusing, and it is a journey that we are continuing to 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 try. And we're not sure exactly what all the rules are. How about take that money, Teresa, and do something useful with it? So then you can redefine yourself in the eyes of the British public, rather than us thinking you came in, the Queen died, you tanked the economy, I think and that's then you a left. Really wise piece of advice, but I've got different advice for Liz. Okay, okay, hit me. If I'm Liz, here's what I do. Lay super low, you know, do some like some surgery, use some money to like refresh myself, you know, different hair, color, whatever. Go to Greece, right? Lay low, even come to South Africa. We love a a, a useless 
Um, British politician. <laughs> any, pol- any politician of any kind. He'll be in good company. Um, it's summer in South Africa right now. Lay low. Have a good time in Cape Town. December, January, warm. You know, you have plenty of money because of the exchange rate that you, you know, fucked up so badly. And so now you can buy, like, for two months, you can be in, like, this beautiful Airbnb on the beach, right? Spend those two months just recuperating, right? Come back. Reinvent yourself with your side hustle that's, like, as an influencer on TikTok that is like, you know, fields p- political, like, discourse on TikTok with your new look and also, like, does fashion stuff with Trini. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. Do that. I mean, you, she made much... Uh, you know, like a Martha Stewart type. Yeah, like Martha yourself. Stewart crossed with Kim Kardashian yeah. crossed with... Yeah, I think that's what I would do. I would just Aggie go all the way because it, your house. You, once you're a controversial character... You've got to lean into the controversial nature of it, you know? So now if she does something crazy like that, we won't be like, oh, that's crazy. No, we'll be like, oh, interesting. Good advice. I don't want you to take it, Liz, because <laughs> I don't want you to thrive. But however. Um, <laughs> you said advice. I mean, uh, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Gilly. Finally, catharsis. Now that you've got some stuff off your chest. Have we helped? Have you found some peace? Do you feel better about the world? No. No. And uh, quite frankly, it's not my job to make you. So that's good. I wasn't feeling so bad. <laughs> so it's okay. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Yes. I am doing a show called Story Party every Sunday in London. However, we're kind of done for the year. I will be back in February, at the beginning of February. Tickets are at storyparty.co. So come watch it. It's a dating-themed stand-up show that I host. It's very funny and entertaining. It has a storytelling aspect to it. And other than that, just follow me on Instagram. It's Gillog, G-I-L-L-O-G. And whereabouts is the uh, is the story party? It's at a nightclub in Shoreditch called Trapeze. And Please. you can get the tickets on Fever. If you'd like to follow me, I'm at Tiff Stevenson on Twitter, Tiff Stevenson Comic on Instagram. I'm on tour in May next year and a couple of dates in March. I'll be doing the Imagine Festival in Belfast. And then I'll be touring Bath, Bristol, Manchester, Newcastle, Glasgow, Edinburgh. If you want the tour dates, there's about 20 of them. Go to my website, tiffstevenson.co.uk, or you can follow the link tree from my Instagram. Hopefully see you at a live show. Thank you for joining us on Catharsis. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.